Hi, this is Simon with just a brief reminder to follow us on our Facebook page, Chronicles on the Fly. Like the page, send us a message, any questions or anything that you would like us to talk about. And uh, maybe on the next episode, we'll do just that. So there you go. Chronicles on the Fly on Facebook. Thanks. Let's get into the show. There we are. Carmelo. What's going on? Oh, mate, what's going on? Just got to work, had my coffee. You didn't spill it? It's all happening. Hey? No, this time I didn't spill it. I was, uh, I was even carried it up the stairs and I was careful. <laughs> yes, I learned my lesson. So what are we talking about today? There's not really much to talk about. So the AFL's back. Yeah, what's happening with the uh, when's it when's it starting? It's June eleventh, isn't it? Blockbuster, big blockbuster game, you know. Um, Collingwood Richmond, of course. Uh, so we're going to be know. the we're going to be the um, Gold Coast Gold, Eagles. Gold Coast Eagles, yes, that's what I was going to say. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Isn't I think there is an amateur team called the Gold Coast Eagles, if I remember. Uh, it's East. No, no. There's actually another team. Was it East Eagles, Coast Eagles? Maybe. I think yeah. it's East Coast Eagles and any VTL or someone. One of those other teams? No, there's a, even a, a team in Italy called called the Eagles, an AFL team. Like a, yeah, there's one in the United Aussie States as well, eh? Is there? Yeah. East Coast Eagles, here we are. It's an Australian rules football club competing in the Sydney AFL competition based out of Sydney of Rouse Hill, New South Wales. And exactly logo area. That's not the same level as the waffle, is it? Like the state state competition over there, is it? I can't. I couldn't answer that. Surely, it just not. It says Sydney, Sydney, Sydney AFL club. So it must have an affiliation with the Eagles, West Coast Eagles. Well, yeah, I think the Eagles have provided a lot of these small teams around the world, like that Italian team that I mentioned. They've sent them like uh, guernseys and stuff, and, and tracksuits and, and, and equipment. I know there's one definitely in America. They've done it too. I think there's one, yeah, definitely in America. So. Yeah, it's good. Uh, good on them. I mean, they got plenty of money. The Eagles. Unfortunately, AFL's making them. Was it? Does it reduce their coaching staff to 25 because it's not fair <laughs> on the other clubs? <laughs> uh, socialism at its best. They've got to love it. AFL socialism. Well, the Eagles sent out an email yesterday uh, about what they're doing with the memberships for this year. So I think. I th- I haven't gone into a lot of detail. I haven't read through it all or, or checked out every option or the detail of every option. But I think you can pretty much get your money back for the whole season yeah. from what I've right. quickly seen. Or you can get a credit for next year's membership, something like that. So, Well, that's all right. If you get a credit for next year's membership, it's not a bad thing. Oh, I think it's, it, was, it was the option if there's no live games, whatever live games you don't get to see. I, I'm credited back. I, again, I, didn't, I haven't gone through it in detail. I did click... On, on it to open up, you know, on the email to open up into the browser. But everyone must have been looking at the same time because the site was crashed. So it was a, it, like it took you through to Ticketmaster, who, you know, who run the ticketing. And uh, I, there was nothing on there. It wouldn't, it wouldn't show up. So I'll try again later. But I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do with mine. I haven't, haven't thought about it yet. So. Just decisions, decisions. Whoa. I mean, you know, I'd like, I'd like to be able to just, you know, donate the money to the club, but not that they really need it. But if I was in a position where 
where it didn't it didn't matter to me, then then I would say, yeah, you know, have it. But I don't know. It's true. It's like, like they don't really need it. They don't really need it. But in saying that, whatever cash reserves they would have had would be pretty heavily depleted. Oh, yes, I'm this sure. Year. I'm sure they've dipped into the savings. But haven't we all? So. Uh, so a lot, they're not going to probably be as strong as what they probably would have been. Well, it's obviously the season went ahead. You obviously know that. But did you listen to our podcast last week? No, I didn't. I haven't done that. So you haven't heard the uh, the clip that I put on the end of it? No, no, I haven't. I haven't had time to be honest. Seriously, do you participate in this thing or not? <laughs> I do. <laughs> All right. So at the end of the podcast, so what I'm starting to do now is to put you know, some sort of, I don't know, something that I find on YouTube, basically, that interests me. And as long as it's, you know, trying not to breach any copyright issues. But um, last week I put on the intro to the Chicago Bulls 1996 NBA Finals Game 6, so the, the game where they clinched the, um, their, their fourth title and it was the first one when uh, after Mike Jordan came back. So... You know how, I mean, the Wildcats do it too. I think most basketball teams do it. They have it like the awesome intro music and, and they, they... Actually, the Chicago Bulls one's really good. Yes. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, so that's why I put it on there. Yeah, but anyway, go back and check that out or I put the, I put the YouTube clip on uh, the Facebook page as well. Have you seen Donald Trump's new press secretary? No, I haven't. Google it, all right? Just type. She's good. She's brilliant. You got to see her, man. She's uh, what's her name? McEnany. Kaylee McEnany. So just just do a Google search for. You want to answer this phone or or, or what? No, that's all. Please answer. We'll we'll take the call on live on <laughs> podcast. We <laughs> uh, someone ring up there. Hi, can I get a job keeper? <laughs> yeah. It probably um, would be actually exactly. Yeah, so Google Trump's press secretary, basically, and all these videos will come up of her just kicking ass. Oh, she's just brilliant. So reporters have been – I think she's new. I don't, she must be another new one. He's gone through about three or four since he's been in, in office. Well, we had the – was it Sean Spicer was the original one? Yeah, he was a joke. No, Sean Spicer was all right. He wasn't too bad. Then you had Sarah – oh, then you had the mooch. Remember the mooch? He turned out to be – Yeah, what did he last, a day? Ten days, and he turned out to be, uh, um, yeah, very anti-Trump. Now, you know, they the Trump's press secretaries have always been grilled by you know all his detractors, the media, yeah. basically the left-wing media, CNN, and all them. And they're trying to get her with gotcha questions, and she's just like she's ready, she's prepared, and she's firing back. And these reporters have nothing to say. Oh, just just watch any video, basically. Of her, she's just taking names and kicking ass. She's awesome. So they're they're trying to get her with gotcha questions, and she's she's firing gotchas straight back at the media. How come you haven't reported on this about the Dem- Democratic Party or about Obama when he was in office and all this kind of stuff? So everything that they're they're trying to take down Trump for, she's got a response for. It's, she's so good. She's so well prepared. It's awesome. Ah, good on her. Good on her. Speaking of prepared, what do you think of our premier? In the whole football saga, um, I haven't. I've only seen what you sent through to me, but I, I didn't. I don't think I watched the video. Oh, I watched a little bit, like the first ten seconds. No, no, no. Like you know how they're talking about the AFL and he's sticking by his guns. Now he's called the the Victorians. What do you say? The last comment. I'm like, 
they're being precious or something or yeah I'm, I'm like in, honestly like, like, yeah, I get it yeah whether you're right or wrong you're a premier of this state why you're arguing with a sporting organization this isn't your job it's not your duty and you're doing this for political points now this isn't about political points all right you should be worried about getting WA back on the road to recovery don't have an argument for these AFL hubs, WA was was not an option because was it because of the two week quarantine rule? Is that why? Yeah, two week quarantine. And he wouldn't quarantine. he wouldn't relax it for no for the AFL. No, he wouldn't relax it. No, right. So that's why which I think yeah that's why Perth and was out of the question. The, and then he said, "Oh, why don't you bring them all here?" I was like, "I can understand. You bring sixteen clubs to where the two clubs are. It's a bit silly. I mean, but anyway, what can I say? Uh, I think it's a bit." I think he's overreacted a little bit. That's my opinion as a West Australian. It's like you're not you're doing us West Australians any favours. I mean, his comment was, I didn't call them pampered. I obviously wasn't strong enough. What I meant was are they overindulged and spoiled? It's like... Oh, this is to an extent true. Yeah, but, yeah we're not, I'm not disputing that. But your job is the Premier, not to argue with the, the yeah. AFL. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so why are you picking a battle with, with the sporting organisation? It's not your job. Let the media sort that out. That's not. It's not your job. Your job is to run the state. Worry about electricity prices. Why the Western Power still sending their bills? Why is the Water Corp still sending their bills? Well, they're still sending me bills. That's for sure. I still say, exactly. We're all still getting bills during times of COVID. Do I not have to pay my utilities bills at the moment? Well, no, no. You still have to pay. Of course, you have to pay. <laughs> oh, damn, it's beyond. <laughs> And there was a presser conference the other day. It said that we're keeping a freeze on prices. You know, the one he said about the price, the utility prices. Uh-huh. Well, I looked at my, I've actually kept my bill from last year for my water and my bill from this year. I've actually used less water this year than I did this same time last year, and yet my bill's more. So I'm trying to work it out. So I thought there was supposed to be a freeze on prices. How's my bill gone up so much? What else you got for me? Oh, no, just, uh, just the same, watching that Jordan documentary, really good. I still love that. So so, so involved in that, that documentary. Final two on Monday night. It's going to be sad when it's over. It is. I'm really taking my hat off to the editor, but for doing, for having the, the they've foresight. Been, they've been re- editing the final episodes while the previous ones have been airing. Like they, it's, it wasn't completely finished and then, and, and then they started releasing them. They've still been editing. But obviously now it's finished. But um, yeah, like even even up to a week ago, I was listening to interviews with the with the director, and they were still editing the final episodes. The foresight of the director, whoever it was, to film that 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 season to get that footage. Oh yeah, was incredible. Well, they I think it was, if I remember right, I think it was organised by the NBA and themselves to follow the Chicago Bulls. Oh, Mr. David Stan. That's pretty impressive. Actually, he passed away now. Mm. And then the director's gone and, and got hold of the footage and used it for the documentary. And also, I think they're, they're very smart that they've done an unusual thing by releasing them two at a time over, you know, four or five oh, weeks. Genius. Rather than doing the usual Netflix thing, which is to, you know, just drop every, a, whole, a whole season or a whole series at once, I think that they've kept up interest and intrigue because it would have lasted, say, two weeks if they had dropped it all at once. And then, but now it's stretched out over, you know, longer, you know, probably two months, I suppose. Because, like, now you look, they've got the, um, 
ESPN released the greatest 74 players to play the game. Have they? Just obviously coincides with they did 74 for 74 years of NBA. Some dubious, dubious decisions in there. And being, in my opinion, number 27, uh, pick number 20, which is Janus. Um, the kid, his name's Janus Akupatembo, for, for a Greek guy. Anyway, he's at number 27, but he's only been playing four or five years. I'm like, how does he make the top? <laughs> the top seven? He's still in the, he's still in the, he hasn't even hit his peak yet. Yes, the guy's, um, the guy's amazing. He's won an, M, he won an MVP, but come on. He's at still, the end of the day, when all these, you know, subjective lists are made after the first five, and this is, could be the top 50 AFL players, you know, of all time. Doesn't matter. After the first five, the rest is a toss up and, and it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Well, Sam, you look at soccer. So who would you put top five? I mean, where would you start? Maradona. Don't anyone ever argue that it's Pele or Lionel Messi or Ronaldo? Don't even start the conversation. All right, you just you have no clue if you don't say Maradona. That's the end, that's the start and end of the conversation. I agree with you. I agree with you on that one. And um, and then from I don't really think Pele was as great as I don't think I'd even put Pele second because obviously it's before our time, but. But I've seen enough to know that he was playing against witches' hats compared to Maradona, and even compared to what Ronaldo and Messi play against now. Right? Pele played against numpties. Oh, so they, so there's obviously four greats, and then and you got to fill out the list. It'll be quite interesting, actually. We should bring that up on our pod. Uh, now, I I couldn't I couldn't rattle off my my top five or top ten for you. I have to have a real think about it but mm. yeah I mean you know it starts and finishes with Maradona basically and okay best you know obviously our lover of Italian football best Italian player mm. ever that's a tough one who would you put that's an easy one well for you yeah Budge it's Budge mm. yeah but Maldini was great you know he's a champion player all right who wins the Brownlow medals? Okay, it's the midfielder. It's the creative yeah, true, player. True, true, right? true, true. So yeah. that's going to be the conversation for the best football player, the best NBA player, the best whatever player, right? Mm. For me, the greatest Italian player ever is Budjo. Does he fit into the top ten in the world of all time? For me, yes, but I don't know where. I'd have to. I'd have to, you know, think about where. Probably towards the back end of the top ten. You've also got to put into the conversation uh, Rivera, Johnny Rivera, who was a budge or like player, but obviously of a previous era. Uh, who else? Then there's uh, Mazzola, who was part of the uh, Grande Torino team that, that crashed in, the, in 1949 in the airplane crash. But Mazzola was probably the, uh, the star yeah, in a team of stars and a star team. Um, but yeah, like in AFL, they were watching. There was the Sunday Footy Show, and they were talking who's the greatest AFL player, the greatest AFL player ever. They were going. One goes Wayne Carey, and the other one said Lee Matthews. And I'm like, two different style of player. Well, it's going to be a midfielder, right? It's going to be that midfield player. It always is. So I didn't watch enough of, of, of Lee Matthews, obviously. Was Lee Matthews, he was the, you know, the runner out of midfield, basically, wasn't he that type of player? Yeah, he was very dirty. I suppose <laughs> a, a, a Judd. 
Chris Judd type of player, is that? Yeah, Chris Judd type of player in the modern era. Yeah. Lee Matthews tarnished himself with that whack that he did. On Neville Bruns. The year it was at Bruns, okay. Bruns, yeah, it was at yeah, when he cleaned him up. At the end of his career or something? Or? Yeah, no, it was towards the end of his career, yeah. And apparently my dad always talks about this particular one, obviously it was before our time, where it was the state game, Victoria versus West Australia, and he come across the field and just cleaned up Barry Cable, like out of nowhere. Really? And Barry Cable was a very clean player, wasn't he? It was very clean. Dad, my, my father rates Barry Cable as a player. He reckons he was amazing. Actually, my, actually, I was talking waffle football with my father because he brings out these names that we've never, I've never really heard of because obviously, and like he starts rattling off these statistics and I went to this game and because <laughs> he lived, obviously he came here in 1960, 61 or whatever, and he lived across the road from Little Boval. Uh, so that's why he became a garlic muncher. That's why he became a garlic muncher. Cardinals fan. Were they, hang on, were, was Westworth the Cardinals back then? I think it was back then. Yeah, it was the Cardies back then. So that's what, hence why he became uh, a West Perth supporter. And he did play. He donned the boots for West Perth and he played under 16, though. Did he? Yeah. Your dad? Yeah. yeah. Oh, mate, I didn't know that. Yeah, he played a lot of West Perth juniors there. So. Oh, he never played soccer? Well, back in those days, it wasn't really wasn't really around. He was across the road from Needleville Oval. Never played wog. Never played wog ball. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> things were a bit different back then. Oh, well, really? When did it really come into to fruition here in Australia? Was it? What did the? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know the history of it long enough. But when did it really become? Well, now it's the most popular junior sport by far, which is kind of sad because considering how many juniors actually play the game, you think about it. Our competition should be much stronger than what it that is. it hasn't translated into a strong national. League or even at the moment, national team. A national team. I mean, compared to the golden era of 2006, the Aussie national team, look at the players now, where they're coming from. Two, two of them play for Seoul in the, in the, in the K-League. There's definitely a, uh, a dearth of talent at the moment, but also a poor organisation. I think at the grassroots level, I mean, they've, I don't know, look, I haven't even been, been involved in, in soccer uh, for number of years now but it seems to me this NPL setup that they've tried to put in just hasn't really translated into much it just sounds all a bit wanky you know what I mean um trying to make clubs be have this air of prestige about them and and scamming parents for shitloads of money and what's it what's it turning into you know like are, are kids getting better coached than we were when we were you know, ten years old. We had, we had probably two, two. We had two fantastic coaches as juniors. Kudos to our coaches. Oh, you yeah, you had more, um, more coaches than me, obviously. But right, but we'd go training two nights a week. I think for one season we we did three nights a week. But anyway, gen, in generally two nights a week, coached by, I suppose fathers who became, you know, who knew the game well, so they weren't just you know know nothings, but coached pretty pretty well you know what I mean like there was a di- there was a discipline about it and I think a lot of good players came out of it around you know our age group or our generation no I'm just saying with the with the, with the, the grassroots I think it's sad because what the AFL does well or the AFL waffle slash or football community Australian football community does well is they kick down and what I mean is they make the they make if they make money, it goes, it feeds its way down to the bottom clubs. 
an example, just the registration costs. Registration for football is one hundred and fifty dollars. For soccer, it's was it six hundred? That's ridiculous. Yet it's still the most popular, most played, yeah, or played sport so among wrong. among juniors. See, so I think it's wrong that the uh, the juniors support the seniors. That's the way I feel. I feel the juniors, the parents pump all this money in that gives it all to the seniors. Whereas in, in football, it's the other way around. At least there's a little bit of grassroots gone, gone through. Like, like I said, my nephew only pays 150 bucks for membership and he gets a, a Guernsey, a training top, a football, uh, a bag. He gets everything, tracksuit. So is this subsidised from? Yeah, I think the Waffle, the, the AFL Waffle slash Football Commission funded a bit. So, well, how else would you do it? You wouldn't be able to do it. And if you've got good sponsors, you'd still need, still need a fair, fair, fair bit of money to, to pay for all that because there's a lot, of t- a lot of things. These days, you know, junior club teams are going over to play in competitions in Singapore and Malaysia and things like this. That's, that's something that, that's new, which I, I would have loved that because I reckon that my – my team from about under 14s to 16s would have been really competitive in a, that sort of competition against some, you know, similar age teams from Asian countries, for example. That would have been an amazing experience. Yeah, but you're paying for it. It wasn't as if it was like, thank you very much. The, the, there was, it wasn't like football West is saying, because you're the best team in the, in the, in the 18. Totally. These, are probably, these competitions are probably organised by the clubs rather than the federation. But, you know, and the parents are, are paying for them. But I'm just saying, like, I'm pretty sure that back in my day at around, you know, between the age of 14 to 16, I had, I was probably in one of the best, if not the best team in, in WA for the age group. We did. You won. You won. Or the, you actually won. We cleaned up. And I'm, I think that the parents probably would have been keen to send us over if there was that kind of opportunity. And I think we would have done pretty well, actually. It's a shame that that wasn't a wasn't a thing back then, but now it seems to be. It's just oh yeah, I just I just find it a bit sad. It's, it's just that oh, they've done so well to get the game of, of soccer really popular in the juniors, they just can't follow it through to, to to the next level, which is a bit wrong. Yeah, I mean, how does that happen? I don't know. They they still do the AIS. They still do the AIS. I don't. Even I don't know. think AIS exists anymore. Well, they did. We're back in in our day. Don't quote me, but I don't think it exists. I mean, a lot of that golden generation went through the AIS. Correct. I mean, players like, you know, Mark Bresciano, um, probably Vince Grella, um, Simon Colosimo was one. And not that he was, went to the as he high was a level. Bad player. Yeah, but he was a decent player. But yeah, I don't know. They're, they're just a few names that, that come off the top of my head. I'm sure that I think even Harry Kuehl might have been, came through yeah, the he AIS. Actually left, yeah, he pretty early. Yeah. Oh, Schwarzer, for sure. You would have gone through there. I was, uh, Mark, what a, what a star Mark, Mark Schwarzer is. Would you rate Mark Schwarzer as Australia's best ever goalkeeper, even above Bosnich? I think so. I'd say I'd probably have to, yeah. They reckon, um, I was actually speaking to someone who knew these players, and they reckon Bosnich was as talented, talent wise. I actually think that Bosnich. For a short period, at least, was probably a better goalkeeper than Mark Schwarzer ever was. However, Mark Schwarzer did did more things for for Australia over a, and sustained it over a longer period of time. So I think that he gets the nod for Australia's greatest ever goalkeeper for me. Well, Robbie Zabika was another good one. Going back to Schwarzer, 
Um, the other day I was watching a clip on uh, YouTube. Do you remember when Australia played a playoff match against Canada in 1993? I think it was, you don't remember this? And Frank Farina scored a, a Zico. Oh, remember that? vaguely. Now, I can't remember if it was a home and away. I think it must have been a home and away um, knockout thing. And the winner went on to play, if it was 93, I think the winner must have gone on to play against Argentina then. Yeah? Because that's when they, Could have been. they yeah, got knocked. Yeah, yeah. Maradona came over here and they got knocked out. Of, yeah, yeah. yeah. So one all here and then they lost... 1-0 in Buenos Aires and they were out, so they didn't qualify for the World Cup and Argentina did. Yeah. Right. Um, and I still remember the um, the own own goal, I think it was, that uh, Australia conceded over in Buenos Aires. And I don't think anyone ever saw that game because it was early hours of the morning. And But anyway, Schwarzer. So I think that home game against Canada, it must have been in Sydney, was his first, was his debut for the Socceroos. So he was, oh, I don't even know how young he was. He was, you know, might have been 20, 21 or something. Well, because he's only, he's only four or five years. He's not that much older than us. Anyway, he went to a penalty shootout and Schwarzer, I think, saved two. He was the star in his debut match for the Socceroos. He was the star of the penalty shootout to, to knock out Canada um, on Australia's, you know, um, route to qualify for the 94 World Cup. Brilliant. It's brilliant. Look it up. Even that game, the famous game where Aloisi scores the goal in um, 05, the penalty shootout against Uruguay. And he saved two there as well, oh. yes. And then I think the other I think, I think the other two went the right way anyway. I was like, oh my God, this guy's good. One he almost got. Yeah, and I was listening, I was listening to an interview on a podcast uh, with him during the week. Now, it was, it was about a, a year old, this interview, but he was talking about the penalty uh, against Italy in 2006 World Cup about just whether he got close to the penalty or not. And he said he knew exactly where to- which way Totti was going because he knew, you know, he'd, he'd watched Totti many times and he knew, he knew where Totti generally puts his penalties. He said, yeah, he, he, he was always going to dive that way because he knew Totti was always going to go in that particular direction. He said, but I didn't get close to it, you know, because he just smashed it so hard. What, a, what a, he was a great keeper, and like Australia's actually, Zelko Kalic was another great keeper. Remember him? He was good. He played for AC Milan. Yes, and I saw him play for Perugia actually before he went to Milan. I think, yeah, I saw Paolo Maldini score against him, and it might have been a year or two later that Milan picked him up, and he, yeah, he was he was at Milan for a while. Yeah, Zelko Kalic was a good keeper. He was a good keeper. He, was, he, was, he wasn't a bad keeper. Unfortunately, he didn't perform very well uh, in the 2006. Yeah, he got the opportunity to shine in the, against Croatia game. He didn't really, did he? In the 2006 World Cup against Croatia in the third group match. But what happened? He, he, he An easy shot and then he dropped it and, yeah, spilled, and it went in. Yeah, and rolled in, yeah. Rolled in. Is he Croatian background? Croatian, yeah. There you go. <laughs> it's a conspiracy. I think there's probably just a lot of pressure. Well, what was, what was the other guy's name who got three yellow cards that game? The Simi- no. Simonic. Simonic, yeah, Simonic or something. The, the Croatian Aussie playing for Croatia. Yeah, he got three yellow cards. What an interesting game that was, huh? How many Croatian, you know, Australian-born Croatian background players playing for Australia in that squad 
And Viduka was one, yeah. There was Seric, I think, was also playing for Croatia, who who grew up in Australia. They had a couple. Yeah. I mean, Mark Viduka lives in Croatia now. He lives, he, he runs, all he does is run a little cafe outside of Zagreb, living a, you know, co- cosy life. Good on him. Good on him. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he was an interesting cat too, Mark, uh, Mark Viduka. One of um, Australia's best ever strikers. Look at um, look at his highlights when he was playing for Leeds. Oh, he was awesome there. Oh, my God. I don't think he replicated as good talent as... as a, yeah, he, he didn't goal, translate it to into... He, he couldn't do what he did for his clubs for Australia, unfortunately. Not that he wasn't important for, for Australia. It was a powerful name there at that, at that time, I think. Like his presence, because he was like an eldest... Oh, well. He was a big, solid man. I think Gus Hiddink, Gus Hiddink loved him. You look at the Australia's 2006 World Cup, you know, they played a Croatia with a bunch of, you know, Croatian background players in the team. And then they went and played against Italy next. And you've got Vince Grella, Mark Bresciano. Aloisi. John Aloisi. Who else? Were there, were there any other Italian background Aussies? I'm sure there were more. There might have been. I'm sure there probably was. Just shows you, you know. Shows we're a country of migrants. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say. We're a country of migrants. That's Australia, right? But how would you feel if you were Brashan or Grella or Aloisi playing against Italy? Like those three boys obviously grew up like us, worshipping Italian football, right? And then you've got to go and play against them in a World Cup. What are the not – that, not that you wouldn't give your all. Of course you would. There's no, no question about that. But it would feel very weird for me, I think. Then Italy knocks you out, right? You're playing for Australia. Your 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 background and your family is Italian. Italy knocks you out. Then what? Do you have any interest in watching Italy carry on in their next games in the World Cup? Do you root for them in the final, um, like you would have, you know, probably four years before or or twelve years before or whatever? Like that's how do you handle that? I don't know. Maybe maybe the mindset is different when you're in their boots rather mm. than anything else. I don't know, but that's that's yeah, an interesting one, I think. Anyway, what is it what is it gonna take for Australia to have a a squad of the calibre of well that that ninety three one that I mentioned even? Look at the the players that were playing there, the Vidmar brothers, Robbie Slater. That was good too. Who else? Frank Farina. Mehmet Djurakovic. Oh, his quality. Oh, I used to love watching him play. Just a hard nut. <laughs> um, who else Mehmet was in that, that 93? Um, I'm sure Paul Wade. Was Paul Wade the, the captain oh, then? He might have been. Yeah, actually, you're right. He was too. Oh, Ocon. Was Ocon been there? Probably. Zalic. Was he around? Did I not, oh, three? Ned Zalic. He was, yeah, because didn't you saw that wicked goal for the Olympics? Which Olympics was that? Uh, the qualifier? Is that to qualify for the 92 Olympics against Holland? You know that goal that he scored like on that ridiculous angle? Yeah. I think it was the next day, right? So that, that if I remember correctly, that goal was on a Saturday night. And the next morning I had my, my junior soccer match and I scored that goal. <laughs> Ridiculous, but the the timing, it was almost the exact angle, the exact spot of the pitch, and I think I didn't even mean it. I think I was trying to cross the ball. 
But I did that. Like the day after. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Steve Carcani, he was there. <clears throat> was it Steve Carcani? Australia v Canada, 1993. All right, here we go. Let's find the starting lineup. Okay, all right, here it is. I got I got the the starting lineup. So the score was two one to Australia. It went to penalties. So Australia must have lost two one over in Canada. Uh, it went to penalties and Australia won on penalties four one. Now here's the here's the lineup. Uh, Mark Schwarzer, Tony Vidmar, Ned Zalich. Ned Zalic, Robbie Slater, Graham Arnold, Mehmet Djurakovic, Frank Farina, Milan Ivanovic. Oh, what a player he was. I loved him. Just such a solid centre-back. Alex Tobin, another quality player. Jason Van Blerk and Aurelio Vidmar. David Mitchell and Paul Wade came on. And the goal scorers were... Farina and Djurakovic. But I tell you what, Australia, yeah, Djurakovic, so put them level on aggregate and then it went to extra time and, and penalties. That's a decent team. That's a decent team. Right, that, that, that rivals 2006 easily. Would you, would you say 2005, 2006 squad is better than that? Yeah, but well, not by much. Oh, I mean, I suppose when you take into account Oh, Viduka Kuehl. Viduka Kuehl. Aloisi. Oh, Schwarzer played in both teams. Kuehl. <laughs> but, but Schwarzer wasn't the, the first team keeper here. He was in for... Who, who would have been the first team keeper? Robbie Zabika. Robbie Zabika. I'll just put it up here. In the first leg, Robbie Zabika got a red card in the 17th minute. Okay. Got a red card. So, so which keeper came on? Was it Sh- uh, the Schwarzer came on? Oh, so this was his second match then. Yeah. So he debuted in the away leg, right? Manager Eddie Thompson. Yeah, did he? Is he still alive? Eddie no, Thompson? no, he, he, passed he, he passed away some years ago. Formula One. We got a lot to talk about in Formula One. As, as you know, my heart was obviously wanted Daniel to go, but. Um, I think the moving to McLaren is really a good move for him, to be honest. Better than Renault. Way better than Renault. A team of history. Let's face it, the greatest driver of all time did race for him. Exactly. And did win a world championship with him. Mm-hmm. Eden. They have produced some amazing you know, drivers throughout the time. Great history. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do like them. And not to mention their road cars are amazing as well. What do you think of, of Carlos Sainz being the next Ferrari driver? I, my feeling is he's a really awesome driver. Really, really awesome driver. Okay. Now, my concern is you've got two stallions as lead drivers. I think there might be a bit of animosity in the team. And Ferrari doesn't need that because they do a good job of stuffing things up themselves. E.g. the first three races of last year's season when they just gave the championship to, to, to Mercedes. I think that might cause a, I'm, I'm a bit worried about causing friction amongst them. But there was already that between probably coming from Vettel more so than Leclerc, but Vettel was obviously disgruntled. That evolved, right? Because if you look at technically last season, Vettel was number one driver, Leclerc was number two. It changed halfway through the season. 
But look what happened. The animosity started and team rules and it, yeah. I, I really hope Daniel, I reckon Daniel will do okay, especially next year. New new powertrain. They've got a Mercedes powertrain. The chassis is not bad. They're a good team. They're, they're a pretty smart team. I think they'll be fine. I reckon they'll actually be all right. They could actually challenge, you know. It'll be, instead of being a three-horse race, it's going to be a four-horse race. Well, do you think that Daniel will have the opportunity to be a challenger for the championship? I'd say a challenger for the championship, but I think changing powertrain, changing powertrain might make things a little bit different. Oh, I hope so. But it's next year's going to prove a bit interesting if the F F one with the new rules, with the new rules and regulations going forward. So it'll be interesting to see what will happen with the car. Well, I mean, obviously they're trying to get a bit of parity amongst the team because I don't think Mercedes winning all the time is good for Ferrari, uh, good for Formula One. Of course not. Just like Juventus winning eight eight in a row is not good for Serie A. But you know, it happens. The best wins. Yeah. But it's not good for, especially Formula One, because at the end of the day, it's a little bit, I suppose, football's probably a little bit different, but Formula One is a spectacle that people want to see overtaking. They want to see changes. They want to see Lido. That's half the, that's half the, it's half the, half the reason why we watch it. But I still reckon they got to bring fuel strategy back. I reckon. Hang on. Hang on a sec. Here we go. The Sydney Morning Herald, one day ago. Why Daniel Ricciardo passed up the chance to join Ferrari? So you're going to tell me he passed up the chance? Or is this just Australian media talking shit? Uh, because, we, come on, you'd drive for free, wouldn't you? Surely. Simon, I, 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 I don't know. I can't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I would. For Ferrari. Okay, here we go. You drive for Ferrari for free or you get 20 mil a year to drive for McLaren. <laughs> all right. uh, yeah, all right. All right, yeah. I don't know. I'd have to have a. Th- I, I wouldn't say yes straight away to either one. I don't oh, come on, come on, man! It's Ferrari. It's this okay. dream. Play it's... for Roma for free, or go play for Inter for fifty million. Roma for free. Ro- no, Roma for free. I'm sorry. I would not tarnish my name for generations to come. Okay. I'm okay, sorry. I'm afraid. Okay, fair enough. Okay, fair enough. I'll give you that one. Okay, Roma for free or Man United for fifty million. <laughs> Come on, there you go. Man United's a good squad. Good, it's a quality club. Oh, yeah. You're a fucking asshole. <laughs> but you understand you know what I'm saying? Because okay, that's a bit. That's okay. You know, you know what I'm trying to say. It's like not going to another. You're going to go to a terrible team. Because it's not your favourite. But <laughs> for, for, if it's into, there's no question. I don't care about money. Doesn't come into it. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. But okay. But but saying you don't hate McLaren, Man United might be the McLaren of Formula One because they've had fell some in, great fell in love with Senna when he was a McLaren driver. So exactly. There you go. So McLaren's got that. They've had some great drivers. I mean, Alonso raced for him. Button Button was a really good race, racing car driver. Hamilton can't deny his credentials. Mate, they've had some really good drivers. Really, really. Kimi raced for him. Mika Hakkinen. Pretty good lineup of past and present drivers. Alonso going back to Renault. Rumor has. Then he signed up to go back to Renault for 2021. What? Alonso? Yeah. He retired. I hadn't heard that. And his wage has been paid by Liberty Media, apparently. So coming out of retirement. And what? So he was, what, one year in retirement? 21 hours ago. Here we are. It says Alonso to Renault with Liberty footing the bill. Yeah. Um, he's 38 years old. Oh, well. Yeah. 
So, what, did, what did Schumacher drive to? About 40, 41? Yeah, it was, 2012 was his last race, so it would have made him 42. But he shouldn't have, he should never have driven for Mercedes. Kind of tarnished his career a bit. Wow. Tarnished his career. He's German at the end of the day. Yeah, no, not, not so much about racing for the team, just like he didn't do his career statistics oh, too right. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, the car itself was miles. How often do you see in sport? And you could even say Michael Jordan when he went to Washington Well, he actually Wizards. didn't do too bad. Yeah, but he didn't do too bad at the Wizards. You I know, know but you're always going to be compared to your, your prime days. But he, but he, yeah, but his average was still 30 points per game. He finished with an average of 30 also points per game. Also, because he didn't have the, the players around him, he had to take more control, more, more charge. I think he always took control. Name, game. name a decent player that, that Jordan had on Washington Wizards with him. I can't, I can't recall. You can't, can you? Yeah. Uh. Oh, that's one thing going back to the documentary I love about was um, how, like, they used to wind up Michael Jordan during the games and then it was a Horace Grant said that, that reckons um, Nate Robinson went up to him and he goes, he goes, 45 ain't 23. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Horace Grant goes, why did you say that? Did you? <laughs> and he comes out the next night with number 23. Yeah. What, you've just, it's a red flag to a bull, isn't it? <laughs> Literally to a Chicago ball. <laughs> to Chicago. And hence what Horace Grant said. Like, what did you do that for? And same with BJ Armstrong. BJ his ex-teammate did the same thing to him. Yes. You celebrate too much against Michael Jordan, you pay for it. And he would make up stories as well in his own head, Jordan, to use it as um as fuel to come and smash you the next time you And the other one was that was a Labri- what was that guy's name? Le- was the guy played for the Washington Bullets at the time. Scored 37 points. Washington Bullets. Yeah, because that's the Wizards before they changed you know, to be gun friendly. Um, they changed their name. And he scored like 37 points on him. And he goes, um, good game, Mike, as they walked off. Ah, yes. <laughs> LeBron, was it? The- I don't remember the name. I didn't even remember, didn't even remember the team. I never heard him. Yeah, because Jordan didn't have a very good game. So to hear, to hear good game, it was like rubbing salt in the wounds. From a bloke who's a nobody, he had like scored thirty-seven points, and the next the next game towed him up, towed him up hard. The guy didn't even touch the ball. Nice game, Mike. <laughs> I gotta watch this whole series all over again. I reckon once it's all done. I think we should leave it there, Simon. Yeah, I've just got an email from Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, he's released a uh, the live songs of summer series. Yeah, on Spotify. So I'll get that going while I'm doing a bit of work today. You beauty. Thanks, Bruce. <laughs> All right. I'll leave you to it. Adios, amigo. All right. Ciao, buddy. Take it easy. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. See, I'm not one of these people who's worried about everything. You got these people around you. The country's full of them now. People walking around all day long, all day long, worried about everything. Worried about the air. Worried about the water. Worried about the soil. Worried about pesticides, insecticides, food additives, carcinogens. Worried about radon gas. Worried about asbestos. Worried about saving endangered species. Let me tell you about endangered species, all right? Saving endangered species is just one more arrogant attempt by humans to control nature. It is arrogant meddling. It's what got us in trouble in the first place. Doesn't anybody understand that? Interfering with nature. Over 90%, way over 90% of all the species that have ever lived on this planet, ever lived, are gone. They're extinct. We didn't kill them all. They just disappeared. That's what nature does. 
They disappear these days at the rate of 25 a day, regardless of our behavior, I mean. Irrespective of how we act on this planet, 25 species that were here today will be gone tomorrow. Let them go gracefully. Leave nature alone. Haven't we done enough? We're so self-important. So self-important. Everybody's going to save something now. I'll save the trees, save the bees, save the whales, save those snails. And the greatest arrogance of all, save the planet. What? Are these fucking people kidding me? Save the planet? We don't know how to take care of ourselves yet. We haven't learned how to help one another. We're going to save the fucking planet? I am getting tired of that shit. I'm tired of fucking Earth Day. I'm tired of these fucking self-righteous environmentalists. I'm tired of these white, liberal, bourgeois, liberal, white people who think the only thing wrong with this planet is there aren't enough bicycle paths trying to make the world safe and clean for their Volvos. And I'm really sick, really sick of these rock stars and movie stars gonna work off their cocaine guilt by saving a forest somewhere. Besides, besides, there's nothing, besides, the, first of all, the environmentalists don't give a shit about the planet. They don't care about the planet. Not in the abstract, they don't. You know what they're interested in? A clean place to live. Their own habitat. They're worried that someday in the future they might be personally inconvenienced. Narrow, unenlightened self-interest doesn't impress me. Besides, there's nothing wrong with the planet. The planet is fine. The people are fucked. The people are fucked. Compared to the people, the planet is doing great. The planet has been here for four and a half billion years, all right? Four and a half billion. We've been here, what, 100,000? Maybe. 200,000? Maybe. And we've only been engaged in heavy industry for a little over 200 years. 200 years versus four and a half billion. And we have the conceit to think that somehow we're a threat, that somehow we're going to put in jeopardy this beautiful little blue-green ball that's just a floating around the sun? Planet has been through a lot worse than us for a long time. Been through earthquakes, volcanoes, plate tectonics, continental drift, solar flares, sunspots, magnetic storms, the magnetic reversal of the poles, bombardments for hundreds of thousands of years by comets and asteroids and meteors, sandstorms, erosion of all kinds, cosmic radiation, worldwide fires, worldwide floods, recurring ice ages, and we think, we think some aluminum cans and some plastic bags are going to make a difference? Planet isn't going anywhere. We are. We're going away. We're going away. Pack your shit, folks. We're going away. And we won't leave much of a trace either. Thank God for that. Maybe a little styrofoam. Maybe a little styrofoam. <laughs> Planet will be here and we'll be long gone. Just another failed mutation. Just another closed-end biological mistake. And then an, an evolutionary cul-de-sac. Planet will shake us off like a bad case of fleas. A surface nuisance. <laughs> you want to know how the planet's doing? Ask those people in Pompeii who are frozen into position from volcanic ash. How the planet's doing. Well, if the planet's all right, ask the people in Mexico City or Armenia or a hundred other places buried under thousands of tons of earthquake rubble if they feel like a real threat to the planet this week. How about the people in Kilauea, Hawaii, who build their homes right next to an active volcano and then wonder why they have lava in the living room? 
planet is going to be here a long, long, long time after we're gone, and it will heal itself, it will cleanse itself, because that's what it does. It's a self-correcting system. The air and the water will recover, the earth will be renewed, and say, if it's true that plastic doesn't degrade, well, the planet will simply incorporate plastic into a new paradigm, the earth plus plastic. The planet doesn't share our prejudice towards plastic. Plastic came out of the Earth. The Earth probably sees plastic as just another one of its children. Could be the only reason the Earth allowed us to be spawned from it in the first place. It wanted plastic for itself. <laughs> Didn't know how to make it. Needed us. Could be the answer to our age-old philosophical question, why are we here? Plastic. Assholes. So... So, the plastic is here, our job is done, we can be phased out now. And I think that's really started already, don't you? I mean, to be fair, the planet probably sees us as a mild threat, something to be dealt with. And I'm sure the planet will defend itself in, in, in the uh, manner of a large organism, like a beehive or an ant colony can muster a defense. I'm sure the planet will think of something. What would you do if you were the planet trying to defend against this pesky, troublesome species? Let's see, what might, hmm, viruses. Viruses might be good. They seem vulnerable to viruses. And uh, viruses are tricky, always mutating and forming new strains whenever a vaccine is developed. Perhaps this first virus could be one that, that compromises the immune system of these creatures. Perhaps a human immunodeficiency virus making them vulnerable to all sorts of other diseases and infections that might come along. And maybe it could be spread sexually, making them a little reluctant to engage in the act of reproduction. Well, that's a poetic note. And it's a start. And I can dream, can I? I don't worry about the little things. Bees, trees, whales, snails. I think we're part of a greater wisdom than we will ever understand. A higher order. Call it what you want. You know what I call it? The big electron. The big electron. Whoa. 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 It doesn't punish. It doesn't reward. It doesn't even judge. It just is. And so are we, for a little while. Thanks for being here with me for a little while tonight.